Welcome to Sooners Extra, the Oklahoma Sooners podcast powered by the Oklahoma and the podcast formerly known as the Nonfiction Writers Podcasting in a great way. I'm Ryan Aber, OUB writer for the Oklahoma, and joined by fellow OUB writer Joe Masato. Joe, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Happy to be here on uh, day two of Big 12 Media Days. Yeah, now that we've found a place to podcast from in the uh, bowels of AT&T Stadium, separated by, I don't know, a couple hundred feet maybe, as we try to make this thing work with, uh, I got some AstroTurf hanging over my head, things like that, interesting setup, but uh, we're also joined by Barry Trammell, columnist for the Oklahoman. Barry, how are you doing this afternoon? I'm getting frustrated at the, uh, at the uh, inability to podcast, getting run out of a media lounge and uh, couldn't do it at our desks because they're piping in music. Is this a, is this a Las Vegas lounge show? Or did, what's going on here? What? Yeah, it's a uh, different kind of setup. But at least it's not the circus that the SEC media days is, right? Yeah, I mean, that's, it's more low-key than that. No fans are are allowed in, which, you know, is not necessarily a bad thing. But it, it does create quite the circus when um, I remember, you know, a couple of years I went that Alabama fans are just crowded around in the lobby awaiting Nick Saban. There's no OU fans here waiting to, you know, get autographs from Lincoln Riley or, or anything like that. Yeah, it's a, definitely a different atmosphere than I know what you've experienced, Joe. But let's talk about what we have seen. And today has been uh, a, a day that's relatively quiet for us. OU and OSU both went on Monday. So we're just uh, sort of taking in as – a couple of the new coaches have gone. Tom Herman, which, of course, all OU fans are always fired up to hear from him and, you know, pick apart every little thing he says. But let's talk about what happened yesterday with uh, OU and, and Lincoln Riley. I, I thought, uh, Joe, that it was uh, – well, uh, Barry, we'll start off with you. Since you were here last year, I thought the sort of air around Lincoln Riley was a lot different la- than this year than last last year. He was trying to convince whether it was everybody in that room or his team that they could be as good offensively as they were the year before with Baker Mayfield. I think this year it seemed like it was a little bit more, I don't know if guarded is the right word, but he was uh, maybe trying to convince uh, either, again, either the people in this room or his team that this league and who's going to win it is not a foregone conclusion and that – you know, maybe they've got uh, some work to do and have to keep on their toes. Yeah, you know, I, I, to, to me, Lincoln, the doubts the doubts about the offense are gone. Nobody's doubting the OU offense. They're just curious, more curious than doubtful. Not that how not how good it's going to be, but just how is it going to be that good? Um, and. You know, Lincoln said it, you know, best. You know, people say, people asking him about Jalen Hurts at quarterback and can you be as good as Kyler Murray? He said, well, I remember last year everybody wanted to know how, how we could be as good with Kyler Murray replacing Baker Mayfield. So Lincoln has – he sort of ascended from this uh, offensive prodigy with a quick start. Now he's looked upon as sort of the venerable, the venerable uh, guy who wins all the league titles and – you know, he's up to what? He's up to sixth in the league in uh, in um, in uh, longevity, right? 
Yeah. When we've got four new coaches, and he's only a year behind Matt Rule, two years behind Matt Campbell. So, uh, and he's tied with uh, with Tom Herman, so he's tied for fifth. So, it's become a league of, of, of Gary Patterson, Mike Gundy, and then a bunch of newcomers. Yeah, and uh, Joe, what about you? What's your perspective as someone who wasn't here last year but sort of the uh, vibe that you got coming out of Lincoln Riley yesterday. Well, I, I thought one of the biggest things, I mean, like you guys touched on as far as the, you know, offensive, whether it's going to dip or not, I, I thought, you know, the, the main point on that is not only the quarterback, but the offensive line. So um, I think you talked about that. Um, and we had one offensive lineman there, talked to Creed Humphrey um, quite a bit. And, um, you know, he was, he was one of the offensive guys they brought along with C.D. Lamb. So I thought it was interesting to talk to those guys. I thought another interesting thing that came out of it, uh, just some minor, I guess, news and notes um, as far as Kennedy Brooks has been cleared um, to practice. So he's going to be back with the team after a Title IX issue. And then another, another thing going on, um, Austin Kendall, which was probably talked a little more about today with Neil Brown going um, and, and sort of the transfer dispute that happened, you know, way back in January, but it's come to a head now and we're, we're talking about it yet again. <laughs> yeah, there were all kinds of OU talk that sort of permeated today as well with uh, obviously the Austin Kendall stuff and everybody asking Neil Brown about him and then uh, Tom Herman and the, uh, the horns down thing, the, the talk from both Terry Bradshaw and Baker Mayfield over the summer about his program and uh, uh, things like that. Barry, is this horns down talk that has continued since last year's, uh, really before the Big 12 championship game, after the Will Greer penalty and things like that, is it just sort of silly? Or yes. Yes. A. Uh, I select answer A. It's silly. <laughs> The whole thing's silly. It's silly that teams do it. It's silly that Texas gets offended. It's silly that they throw flags. The whole thing's silly. Everybody involved is silly. Yeah. To except, me, except the uh, people who market and brand the horns. <laughs> now they're 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 serious. They're dead serious. They know it. It equals cash. Yeah, and even on the OU side, because there's, you know, how many of those uh, Longhorn stickers have been sold to? OU fans who just put them on their car upside down. Yeah, that's a big part of it. My only issue, I mean, it, I, I agree. Silly, A, yes, it's, it's, it's a silly thing to talk about. Um, but it was actually the first question brought up today to Greg Burks, the coordinator for the Big 12 officials. And I know it's not as simple as saying, if you do it, you know, there's a flag or there's no flag at all if you do it. And, you know, we're taking that away. Um, but it is, I, I don't think we're, we've moved any closer to a clarification. Um, basically, the short answer of, is it going to be a penalty, is it depends. I mean, that's basically <laughs> as good as we got. I mean, if you do it to taunt somebody, it's a flag. If you do it on your own sidelines or maybe to your own fans, it might not be a flag. But um, I, I think this is a dispute where we're going to be recirculating all these stories before the next OU Texas game, and then again if they meet in the Big 12 championship yet again. So it's it's a ongoing discussion, I will say. Well, and especially for for Oklahoma, where yes, obviously the 
the sign is meant to sort of nag on Texas, but it, for OU, it's sort of their de facto hand signal. You know, all these former Southwest Conference teams had their own hand signal. We don't see a lot of them uh, anymore outside of maybe, uh, well, I mean, we see them, but Texas is clearly most prominent. Uh, we see the Texas Tech guns up quite a bit. But for OU, it's sort of become uh, their uh, de facto celebration, not only against Texas, but throughout the year. Yeah, and you know, it's really... I'm sitting here being cynical about the whole thing. It's a lot of fun to most people. Um, and so I get the fun part and way too much is probably made. Will Greer running into the end zone and uh, in Austin and then flashing the horns down sign. Why that should be a penalty is beyond me. Um, you know, we, we, uh, we don't want, we don't want trash talk. We don't want, uh, we want sportsmanship and all that, but now we're extending that to the fans. You know, you're not supposed to offend the fans. You're not supposed to offend the 70,000 people that literally for three hours have been yelling at you and screaming you and calling you names and, and uh, booing you. I mean, if we want to, if we want to start throwing flags, what if we started throwing flags on what the fans in unison yell? Um, that'd be the best place to start if you want to clean up. If you want to clean up the college football game experience, that'd be the best place to start. Not flagging Will Greer <laughs> for his his, uh, his horns being upside down. Yeah, I, I thought that penalty last year was ridiculous. I thought it was ridiculous then, and I think it's ridiculous now to uh, sort of twist a press conference uh, answer from one Bob Stoops from a few years ago. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's something that, I mean, from an OU perspective – I think that, you know, the directive from Lincoln Riley going forward is going to be the same as it was ahead of that Big 12 championship game. I think he's simply going to tell his players not to do it. I mean, Which is ridiculous. Like, I think that it's such a part of OU that that they should be able to do it. They should do it and not worry about every step uh, being penalized along that route. Yeah. Remember, we also saw like a you know, Dragon Ball Z celebration get penalized last year, too. So I, I think fun and celebrations um, has sort of been sucked away in general, but obviously the most notable is the horns down thing. Yeah, which is, again, ridiculous when you look at the NFL and they're trying to sort of add more of that after cutting it way back a few years ago. So let's, let's talk about some on-the-field stuff, though. Uh, Barry, Joe brought up the quarterback uh, battle earlier. I mentioned Austin Kendall as well. Um, I wrote about this for, for today's Oklahoman that, uh, you know, the presumption, the wide presumption, and I think it's even among us, is that Jalen Hurts will be the starter when they face Houston. But uh, And he wasn't asked. I think there was 10 questions about Jalen Hurts before one question was asked about Tanner Mordecai, and it came from a, a local Waco reporter, uh, Tanner Mordecai's hometown. What do you make of the way that – Lincoln Riley has handled the quarterback competitions and the way that he's uh, paced them, announced them, and, and just handled them publicly uh, the last, well, really, this is the third big one he's been in with Baker Mayfield, Trevor Knight, uh, his first year, uh, a, a couple of years or last year with uh, Kyler and uh, Austin Kendall, and now this one 
with uh, Tanner Mordecai and Jalen Hurts. You know, I, I have to say any criticism of the way Lincoln Riley has handled this will generally put you on the losing end. Um, <laughs> if I was in charge of the world and I got to the Oklahoma quarterback situation, I would say, hey, whatever you guys are doing, keep doing it. Don't change a thing. So if uh, if going into the middle of August before you say, you know, Kyler Murray's actually better than Austin Kendall, we'll go with him. If that works, even though everybody knows otherwise in terms of needing that long, then I have no problem. Um, it's good stuff. You know, it, it, the way that the transfer culture that we have, we're seeing this in Stillwater and a lot of other places. Coaches have to be cognizant of keeping players engaged and, and involved because the ramifications could be detrimental to your team. So there's, and there's nothing fundamentally wrong about saying, you know what? Competition's open going into August, even though we all know Jalen Hurts is going to quarterback this team. Yeah. yeah. I, I, no, go ahead, Joe. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think I think that last part is the answer. I mean, I think it's all about damage control at this point. I think that's what we're seeing um, with Mike Gundy right now in, in OSU's quarterback race. You don't want to, you know, declare a guy this early. And, you know, another, another effect of this is it really does not help, you know, Tanner Mordecai because maybe if he knew now or, I mean, maybe he already knows it, that Jalen Hurts is going to be the starter, you start looking at other places – um, to transfer. You don't want to wait too late in the game before you make that sort of decision. But for Oklahoma, it's a depth issue. If Tanner Mordecai decided to transfer, you're looking at Spencer Rattler, which for many teams would be a good problem to have, having a five-star quarterback be your backup. But you're looking at a true freshman with little depth behind him. So I think it's about keeping guys happy and you know at least giving the illusion that there's a competition. Yeah, and you're also talking about a, a true freshman who just arrived on campus a few weeks ago. He hasn't been sort of immersed in this program to this point. I think I think everybody anticipates that if uh, if say Jalen Hurts got hurt midway or later through the season, that there would be a good chance that Spencer Rattler would be the guy who would come out of a, a red shirt, which they want a red shirt Spencer Rattler, that he would come out of that and be the starter. But uh, at the same time, especially early in the season. You'd be really leery about that, you know, putting uh, putting your future hopes into to his hands after just being on campus for a few weeks. So I, I think, like Barry said, there's no no way to argue with what Lincoln Riley's done. I mean, you talk about uh, two Heisman Trophy winners. Baker Mayfield also finished right up at the top of the voting his other two years. So you can quibble about a lot of things in college football, but uh, Lincoln Riley's handling of the quarterback situation – uh, it, it's hard to say a negative thing about that, but, uh, Barry, you wrote, a, an interesting column today about Oklahoma's defense and can they be good enough to make up for any kind of drop off on offense? And I know Lincoln Riley said, well, we don't anticipate there being a drop off. You wouldn't anticipate him saying that he expected his defense, his offense to drop off, but it's sort of inevitable that you can't just keep having record-setting seasons and record-setting quarterbacks and uh, the kind of numbers that they put up over the last few years, eventually there's going to be some form of regression, whether that's a major one or just a, a small step back. Yeah, no, here's the point. Um, Mayfield and Murray have so skewed 
the reality that we forget that we we forget how that a really good offense is still a really good offense. The Sooners have been have been performing at such a higher plane than that that that's become the standard. And Jalen heck, Jalen Hurts may hit it. Who knows? But next year, the year after, at some point, at some point they're going to have to rely on their defense a little bit. <laughs> they can't win every game forty-two to thirty-five or forty-nine forty-two or whatever it is. And what I asked Lincoln Riley was, forget about needing your defense to to pick up the offense. What if your defense just got good and your offense stayed great? What if you just got halfway good on defense? How high could this program go? And he admitted, I, I think about that. because he, And we, we saw Lincoln's confidence when I asked him about the slippage of the offense. He said, I don't, I don't plan on dipping. And I think, I think that is his plan. I think his plan is we're not going to dip on offense. But if that defense could just rise, think how it could elevate the whole program. Yeah, I mean, they, they could clearly break through and, and win a college football playoff game and, and go from there. Uh, but, uh, Joe, looking at, looking at that defense and what Alex Grinch has, has done to this point, Roy Manning and Brian Odom and, and the new guys on that side of the ball, what's maybe your biggest question about that side of the ball in this defense here entering, uh, entering preseason camp? Oh, you know, I, I think it's going to be interesting with as much as we've, you know, harped on speed defense, length, athleticism, all kind of the pillars that, I mean, most every defense would want, but especially Alex Grinch's scheme and forcing turnovers, how this current group of guys fits into his plan, even though they might not fit, you know, his ideology on, on defense. So, you know, obviously working with another staff's group. But from everything we heard yesterday from Neville Gallimore and, and Kenneth Murray, you know, there's newfound excitement, even if there's even if the success isn't going to match that. Like there's there seems to be a different spirit about them. I wasn't at this event last year, but just the way Kenneth Murray talked about clicking with Brian Odom and not feeling that close to a coach before. And then the way Gallimore talked about the first meeting they had with Alex Grinch, like even if, you know, you're not pointing to tangible things, there's at least seems to be psychological differences going into the season. Yeah. But Barry, how much can that, those psychological differences carry you when you look at a defense that's largely unchanged from last year, as far as personnel, they lose, uh, let me see Curtis Bolton, in the middle who, uh, you know, didn't really come on until the end and was sort of forced into that position and uh, they performed admirably, but, you know, uh, admirably and, and playing at a championship level are two different things. And then they lose uh, Amani Bledsoe, who uh, was an, an unable to get his year back. But nine of those guys on that side of the ball, I anticipate some changes in the starting lineup, things like that. They've got nine guys who started it last year who are back, how much different can that defense look? Well, I actually think it can get better without any individual player, you know, getting better in terms of sometimes just the attitude and the culture can wear on an, an entire group. And that's the hope for the Sooners, that they can you know, take a couple steps up. You know, this, this team is the, last, is, uh, is the worst defense in the Big 12 last year. The worst. I made a statement. Austin Radio had me on this morning. I said, 
if an Oklahoma football team tried to be the worst defense in the Big 12, you would think that's not even possible. If you didn't even practice, it's just, you know, just told the guys, hey, good game. See you next Friday night. We'll go to dinner and go to the hotel and then get up and play. If you just did that, you could probably avoid last place in the defense, in, in Big 12 defense. And yet somehow they didn't. And you got to feel like the talent, it's not Oklahoma standard. It's not, it's not championships standard. It's a low caliber talent defense. But it's still above some of the uh, some of the teams in the Big 12. You got to believe they can get up in the 6, 7, 8 range just on sheer new blood. And if they do, you know, that's going to that's going to help the chances of, of big time victory. Yeah, and again, and you brought this up I know Barry and we've brought it up anytime we talk about this, but again, OU was the worst defense in the Big 12 when they didn't have to face the best offense and not only the big 12, but the nation, they never had to face. Oh, you, uh, you know, they never had to face Baker Mayfield. They never had to face Kyler Murray last year. They never had to face Marquise Brown, all those guys uh, in a situation where it counted. And yet teams like Kansas and uh, some of the other ones, Texas tech at the bottom, although Texas tech was better early last year defensively, but those lower rung big 12 defenses uh, had to face, OU and still finished ahead of the Sooners defensively. Yeah, it, it was an embarrassment. It was truly embarrassing. And it continued a, even after Mike Stoops was fired. So, you know, the culture shock of a midseason firing really didn't impact the defense. They did play better in the Big 12 title game against Texas. Not so much against Alabama in the Orange Bowl. So, uh, you know, if Alex Grinch can lift them up just a little bit, that gives Jalen Hurts some wiggle room to not have to be Kyler Murray in terms of production and give the Sooners a chance to uh, repeat and get back to the college football playoff. And uh, real quick, and we'll start wrapping this up, but uh, Joe, I want to start off with you. On the defensive side, who is the most important player for the Sooners uh, on that side of the ball this season and, and the key player-wise to them uh, getting this thing turned around? Oh, man, that's a tough one because um, we, we all know it's going to take a lot more than one, but I'll maybe this is recency bias, but I'll go with Neville Gallimore, um, you know, just because we, we haven't seen the force up front um, for an Oklahoma defense in quite a while. And I think he could be that guy. He, I thought he sort of flew under the radar. Um, pro football focus has, you know, they do a good job and have, they issue grades at the end of, you know, every games and every week. So they'll, you know, throw out individual conference honors. He consistently was OU's top graded defensive player. And I think he finished the season as OU's top graded defensive player. Um, so if he can, he, he talked about, yesterday that he's now below 300 pounds for the first time since uh, I think his sophomore, junior year of high school, he's gotten faster. Um, OU football tweets out these videos of the whole team crowded around him in the weight room because he's squatting some obscene amount. So um, I, I think he's a guy that could really be a difference maker inside. What about you, Barry? Um, I am going to go with, I'm going to go with Kenneth Murray and Deshaun White in the middle. 
I actually think Neville Gallimore is one of the few guys on campus that could play for a real defense. I mean, he could go to Alabama and be in the rotation. You go to Texas and be starting nose guard. He's a really good player. I think you can trust Neville Gallimore. Most of the rest of the defense you can't trust. And frankly, I think the OU linebackers have just not been very good in recent years. Kenneth Murray was voted Big 12 preseason player of the year in what is an absolute uh, uh, testimony to the human spirit. So um, if he can, if he can, uh, you know, in, in his defense, he got thrown into the starting lineup as a true freshman, which nobody – I mean, that never – that didn't happen with Brian Bosworth, George Cumbie, Rod Schoen, any of the giants of the game. He wasn't much better last year, which is a little bit disconcerting, but maybe he's just now coming into his own. So um, – and Deshaun White's a younger guy that's shown a lot of promise. So if those two guys could really start playing Oklahoma-type linebacking, well, then this defense looks completely different. Yeah, I, I'm going to go with uh, something a little bit different. Uh, sort of kicked around why well, I, I first thought was both of those, all those guys that y'all mentioned, but uh, it, it sort of kicked around Trey Brown back there. But I'm going to go with Parnell Motley because this defense has got to create more turnovers, and I thought Motley was a guy that, yes, he got burned at times last year and, and certainly more often than they would have liked. But he was also a guy who made more plays, I think, than just about anybody back there. And I think if Parnell Motley can find some consistency to his game, can be a guy who can uh, get a few interceptions and help get that interception number turned around, that turnover number turned around. Because if they can do that, they can just you know, double the number of turnovers that they had last year. All of a sudden, that defense looks a whole lot better without anything else improving. And if they're able to improve some more things, then, you know, then they look, uh, start looking serviceable. So uh, I, I, I'm going to go with uh, Parnell Motley on that side of the ball. And uh, I'm going to ask you the same thing on offense. Uh, start with Barry and uh, eliminate one Mr. Hertz from that conversation. Oh, I'm going to say name your lineman, whichever one you want to pick out. Uh, you know, Tyrese Robinson or Marquise Hayes or did I get the right Marquise? Is it Marquise Hayes? Uh, I got to be a, yeah. I haven't, <laughs> I haven't learned all the new linemen's names for sure, but one of those Eric guys, Swinson. I, 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 I can't tell them. I couldn't pick them out of a lineup if they, you know, if they were pointing at themselves. So um, I don't know, but one of those, those young linemen need to stand up because all of them, but you know, the more that can, the better. Sooners have been accustomed the last couple of years to excellent offensive line play, and we sort of take it for granted. And, you know, they don't, you know, it's not automatic that OU has NFL caliber offensive line. It's hard work, good recruiting, great coaching. Brought them to that point. That's got to continue. If these guys come along, well, then that makes Jalen Hurts' job much easier. Ryan, I hope you have a different answer because I've, I've got I've got a – piggyback on that i mean I, I think it's just any of those offensive linemen i mean barry mentioned a few uh adrian ely is another name we, we keep hearing bray walker um is a local guy so just just anyone other than creed humphrey on the offensive line i think is you know a, a big question mark considering every single one of them is going to have to step in and replace guys that are uh going to be playing on sundays next year yeah, and I am going to go a little bit different route, but for a lot of the same reasons that y'all mentioned, 
I'm going to go with Trey Sermon, and I know there's been a lot of buzz about Kennedy Brooks and what he did last year, and, and rightfully so. Kennedy Brooks was fantastic for uh, most of the end of last season with that string of 100-yard games. But, uh, you know, I think people forget just how good Trey Sermon has been. That Ohio State game a couple of years ago up there in Columbus, he was really, really important in that game. Sort of became uh, a closer type back for them. And I, I think with the retooled offensive line with four of the five guys having moved on to the NFL and only Creed Humphrey returning, I think it's really important for them to be able to find a way to run the ball. And yes, offensive line makes that so much easier, but if you're going to have a young offensive line, you really need a, a really good running back who's able to you know, make a little bit more than what he's given, especially I think early in the season as they look to gel. So uh, I, I think I'm uh, going to go with Trey Sermon there. But on that note, we're going to wrap it up uh, from AT&T Stadium. We'll be back a little bit later in the week to, to talk more OU football and uh, uh, you know break some more things down, hopefully get back on a little bit more regular schedule after a, a nice, enjoyable summer. But thank you so much for joining us. You can check out our work every day at, uh, the Oklahoma, at Oklahoman.com and every morning in the Oklahoman.